You're listening to CKUT 90.3. Today's setlist is dedicated to our interview guest, Rafina Bazlova, and features musicians, comedy, and field recordings from Belarus. Enjoy the show. Thank you. 
Карапет был. Карапет. Два раза туда и два назад. И а я буду а и два раза крутиться, крутиться. И тогда снова сюда, сюда и выкручиваться. И два раза. Но силу еще дядя. Два раза. А где же мои еще лет, бляха, муха?
The guest on our show today is Rufina Bazlova, a Belarusian artist who works in textile arts, illustration, scenography, and performance. Bazlova is known for her activism and social critique, most notably for her series, The History of Belarusian Zizhavanka, which uses traditional Belarusian embroidery techniques to illustrate the peaceful pro-democratic protests that took place from May of 2020 to March of 2021 which sought to challenge the authoritarian Belarusian government and oust Alexander Lukashenko. Rafina, welcome. Hello. Hi, it's so nice to have you here. So what I like to start with is a description of what your work looks like to help people imagine it that have never seen it. So could you describe um, the Belarusian embroidery tradition for our listeners and what it looks like and the materials that you use? Yeah, the traditional Belarusian embroidery uh, actually looks very geometric and um, uh, usually it uses um, white uh, thread on linen, like bright linen or white background. Uh, of course, like there are um, another colors also, but uh, this is like the predominant one, um, the combination of white and red um, yeah and actually um, the traditional Belarusian uh, embroidered short looks um, like there are some elements that are stitched uh, with uh, different um, kinds of um, stitchings but uh, one of uh, very popular is uh, also the cross stitch but it's not very spe specific because, like, you know, the cross-stitch is actually an international one. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, this type of short with uh, the traditional embroidery calls Vishivanka. Mm -hmm. And also there are towels that are embroidered, uh, stitched, and uh, also they have some... Um, the myth, or not really the myth, I don't know how to say. It's like uh, the embroidery protects protects people uh, who were in Vishvanka from like evil or bad things. Yeah. It's like yeah. protecting somehow, you know, but uh, in um, transcendental sense. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> I do. Say. I do know what you mean. Um, one of the reasons. But I how call it? It's almost like a talisman, maybe. Yes, yes, It's something yes, that you yes. wear to protect you. Yeah, so my grandmother also uh, embroidered things, and um, that was the first time I encountered Belarusian embroidery was through my grandmother, and she did the same thing. So she decorated mostly pillowcases and towels, little hand towels, in our house with the traditional symbols of protection and safekeeping, like the sun, I think, is a big one. Um, there's also the symbol of the mother that's very popular. There's Yarilla, which is, I think, the meeting of the sky with, is it the earth? Is that Yarilla? This is very interesting thing. If you want, we can speak actually yeah. about it. Wow. So, there's, so uh, there's this tradition, right, of these certain symbols that represent... Um, it's very interesting because the researcher who actually um, found it like or find, uh, found out uh, these symbols mm -hmm. um, like if you ask the contemporary researcher they would say uh, that it's it was not made very clear yeah. by Mikhail Katsar mm -hmm. and later like uh, he just collected 
some symbols, he did researches, he talked to, to women who stitched. Um, yeah, and then he collects all this information and he actually uh, f find out uh, 84 symbols mm -hmm. with different meanings. Um, and he uh, made a book mm -hmm. or like um, handwritings, but later the editor make a book made a book and it was pub published in three editions, actually. Um, and it became well, very popular in Belarus. But um, as I said, not um, the contemporary researchers, not very uh, clear with uh, how it was made, because like, uh, um, he asked questions um, in this way so in the question was already the answer uh, and okay. usually recipients or like not recipients i don't know the word women who were answering mm -hmm. actually answering what he wanted to hear mm -hmm. <laughs> this is interesting thing about it yeah. but anyway um, it's it's a great uh, job and um, he was a really big patriot of belarus and he wanted to um to to find something in history sure um yes and actually he was um, an inspiration for me his book also mm -hmm. but not in the way like i take these um symbols he found it mm -hmm. uh but uh actually the inspiration of telling the story through belarusian ornaments because mm -hmm. like his idea was that each symbol means something. So when um, women they embroidered things, mm -hmm. um, towels, and so this that was the way how they coded the information into this embroidery. Mm -hmm. And I found it very interesting. So you really can read it as a text somehow, mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. you can uh, uh, read the story from embroidery. So that was actually the inspiration for my work. So I wanted to to fix the stories of contemporary Belarus in traditional, the stylization of traditional Belarusian embroidery. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see you doing that. I think it's it's working. Um, but it sounds like you're saying he created a narrative about these certain symbols that maybe wasn't there, but you know, it was in the effort of bringing together all of these different towns and all of these different embroidery styles um yeah yeah well yes i in your art practice i definitely see you reinvigorating and reinventing disappearing belarusian folk tradition when did you begin embroidering yourself and were you in the, the first person in your family to do so or <laughs> uh, it's very interesting uh, because my grandmother she actually uh, was very well in different crafts so like we usually have a jo joke that uh, she made like 100% of different crafts my mother then she did only half of this and uh, the only thing I have <laughs> is the embroidery uh -huh. um, but uh, it's just a joke uh, but um, my mother, she never did embroidery. She usually like did knitting and uh, sewing, but not embroidery. And actually, it was uh, the free field where I can 
make things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and if, and I was teached at school. Yeah. Um, on the classes, there were special classes uh, for girls and for boys and Trudy, they call yeah. it called. Mm -hmm. uh, like craft classes. Yes, and uh, there it was the first time I tried to to stitch something. But I, like uh, uh, it's not so much about stitching. I would say it's it's more about uh, putting um, crosses together in different compositions and different pictures. Yeah. So that I did also when I was a child, uh, not at school, not at the classes, but because my brother he taught me beats. Beats like uh, like music or like the vegetable. Uh, uh, uh. No. <laughs> um, wait, it karaoke. Businy. Oh yeah, beating, beating. Yeah, beads. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this is like the, the, my brother. He brought uh, the technique technique of beating, and he taught me how to do it. Hmm. And then I started creating different ornaments and flags and whatever like um, yeah. letters. Yeah. I think that was the beginning of what I'm doing now. Yeah, well, I definitely see the influence of um, storytelling, both in embroidery and in beading. I think they were used to tell stories, all, you know, across all kinds of cultures. Um, well, something that um, I really like about your artwork is that you are received as a fine artist and not as a craftsperson because of the way that you were able to reinvent the medium of embroidery and you made it very contemporary and the stories and the subject matter that you work with is very contemporary and so this like legitimization of your work as a fine artist really i think uplifts and you know i'm going to put legitimizes in quotes the efforts of so many uh, Belarusian women, just like my grandmother, who never thought of themselves or would describe themselves as artists or even as creative. So my question for you is, do you view embroidery as a, a kind of empowering feminist practice for yourself? I think yes. <laughs> I felt um, like I really love how the embroidery looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, actually, it, it, the position of embroidery was like more the craft, not really the the, uh, the contemporary art or fine art. Uh, but again, it's it's about idea and about the technique. But in my case, it fits together well, very well. Still, there are a lot of people who just think it's just stupid embroidery, mm. stupid illustration. Uh, yeah, but. I would say this is it that could be feministic not only because uh, of um, mm, like protecting the technique but also uh, for example our new project about political prisoners uh, this is like mm, one of the way ways how to give the voice uh, for people who like cannot speak now actually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I think the medium that you're working with is really interesting. And it's the combination that I find really interesting of this like transgressive subject matter through the medium of embroidery. And I think that by taking on this transgressive sub subject matter through embroidery, you're drawing attention to the lives of 
average people in Belarus and the millions of people who live in the countryside. It's their medium. Um, and for those people, time has largely stood still. They've seen very little to no upward mobility since Lukashenko took office in 1994. So... I think that the medium that you're using suits the subject matter perfectly. My question is about the subject matter. When uh, and why did you get involved with grassroots pro-democracy movements in Belarus? Hmm. Um, actually, in 2020, mm -hmm. um, um, I was thinking I would like to, to uh, use this technique and I was uh, searching for the topic to speak about and um, I was following the situation in Belarus mm -hmm. and in one moment I just tried to to make an embroidered policeman mm -hmm. and I saw it worked and I said oh my god this is the idea like uh, um, you have a topic uh, of contemporary Belarusian uh, history and you have the traditional Belarusian a technique of mm -hmm. embroidery so if you combine this actually you can tell this story um but uh, a very interesting thing i would say um because if you remember in um uh, august 2020 uh there were like um a brutal beating in prisons and shooting on the streets etc um and the internet was full of these um, terrible pictures and videos, mm -hmm. uh, full of blood, uh, etc. And uh, actually, the way I work, I speak about the same things, mm -hmm. but in a very pretty way. Mm. So, for people, as you said, uh, not really, not not like uh, it doesn't has have to be uh, all the time from villages but like for people who cannot stand um, watching this kind of uh, news mm -hmm. and pictures uh, but at the same time they like like these cute embroideries and they actually can come closer to the topic mm. and to learn and to know more about the political situation about what is going on through this like, nice technique so um and i know this for sure because people wrote me uh these things wow um something that i read i'm pretty sure that i i've i've read a few books on belarusian embroidery and i think the one that you mentioned as this important text that was really influential i think i, I did read mm -hmm. that one and if i'm remembering correctly in the text um, the author made the point that um, he saw these patterns in Belarusian embroidery that people didn't address difficult subject matter. It was mostly celebrating the positives. So uh, there weren't a lot of symbols that he found for like grief or death uh, or violence. It was mostly, uh, you know, things that are antithetical to that, like birth and life and, um, and growth and like agriculture and the sun. Um, so it's interesting for you to say that you kind of continued that tradition in a way too, is you took a very difficult subject matter and you tried to make it more approachable through the, through the way that you, you speak directly to, um, violence without trying, without making people uncomfortable or disempowering them. But instead it's like you are 
drawing the attention to the people that are able to resist and the people that are being courageous. And you're choosing to focus on, I wouldn't say the positive, but um, the empowering elements of the protests. Um, well, maybe. Yeah. Should... Sorry, no. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> What did you yeah, just about? I wanted to say that like uh, uh, it also was the um, um, the tool how to bring attention to the situation in Belarus, mm -hmm. also through the art media, through uh, like through internet media, and like pictures became very popular. This they flew very fast, and. Um, yeah, and it, it it actually became a tool how to to spread the information about situation in Belarus. Uh, so in some way it was helpful. And actually, uh, the works I do they're not only brutal. I know. <laughs> even yeah. now, even even they they are nice. But um, I try to use to use um, also jokes there, mm -hmm. the humor. And uh, for this, actually, the embroidery I did um, helped pick people. Mm -hmm. So if if we speak that the traditional Belarusian uh, ornaments and embroideries um, like were positive and uh, tried to um, how to say to lead people <laughs> in mm -hmm. a good future. Mm -hmm. uh, so this works in some way, I would say, also made this yeah. uh, thing. I agree. Um, I think that it has an empowering effect. Um, and it also it has an effect of having people feel less isolated, too, because we can gather around an artwork and we can discuss something, we can point to something. Um, yeah, I, I think your work works on so many different levels. Um, well, I want to talk about this Stitch It project that you have with Sophia Takar, mm -hmm. which involves collaborative embroidery projects and connecting people all over the world who wish to show solidarity and support for the pro-democratic movement in Belarus. So that project, Framed in Belarus, is dedicated to political prisoners in Belarus to witness and share their stories of wrongful imprisonment. How did this particular project of yours come about and what do you hope to achieve with it? Um, when the protests uh, were not able, were not more able in Belarus, mm -hmm. um, and the number of political prisoners started growing very fast, growing very fast. Um, I, I just understood that this is um, the main thing I have to speak about. Um, I cannot draw protest anymore. Mm -hmm. I have to because all the attention went to the prisons. Um, so the idea was to uh, to depict each political prisoner. For that moment, there were like three hundred. I would say it was the winter of two thousand twenty-one mm -hmm. when I had the idea of this. Uh, but um, I was. Uh, like not sure if I would be able uh, to stitch all these works. I will. I thought I will uh, draw it, but to stitch it was too hard mm -hmm. and it, too, too too much time. Uh, but 
uh, during the 2020, people still like r r r write to me that they want to stitch something if I can send them patterns, etc. So people wanted to 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 stitch the thing the things I draw, and uh, that time I just um, realized that it could be a really participative project. Uh, so, and I like like the idea that I was inspired, and I. Like I, I was inspired by the uh, folk traditional tradition. I took the stories from um, from folks, and if I give it to back to to folks, it's again like it, mm -hmm. it still works very well. And um, I still was not sure. Like, um, do I have to to do it? Is it uh, good for political prisoners or not? Um, and once I wrote a letter to the prisoner, and I got the answer, mm -hmm. I was very surprised. I, I didn't expect it, but uh, from this letter, I understood how is important any word in the world when mm -hmm. we speak and we spread about the situation of political prisoners, and. Um, um, Daria Losik, the wife of one of the prisoners, actually now she is also in the prison, but that time she was free and she said, like, um, as much as we uh, speak about them, uh, then safer they are. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, and when I actually decided to start the project, uh, there were around 600 of political prisoners already. It was like half a year, mm -hmm. but it was doubled. Um, yes, and uh, I was uh, um, looking for for a partner who can help me to to lead to 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 do the work to do the um, the project because it seemed to be very big mm -hmm. and um, long. Um, Yes, and we met with Sofia Tokar. I asked her to, to become part of the project and uh, uh, she agreed. And from September, we started working together. Mm. And I, I think it's necessary to say that Sofia Tokar, she's from Moldova. Mm -hmm. She's not from Belarus, but uh, it was like her solidarity, showing her solidarity with people in Belarus. Mm -hmm. That's why she joined it. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's how it started. And maybe, I don't know if you want me to tell more about what is the project about, or you already said it. No, no, uh, feel free. I guess one of my other questions is when you uh, receive all of these portraits of the political prisoners, what what is your plan with them? Ah, so I think we have to say first that we actually collect the work. Yes. Yeah, I create the pattern about um, each political prisoner, and um, then we like uh, invite people from all over the world to join the project and to um, to stitch one or more uh, stories about political prisoners. So we send to participants um, the the pattern, and uh, people then buy the materials and uh, stitch the pattern. Also, we ask people to um, to support the political prisoners somehow. We call it like uh, your hero. So you can support your hero by 
writing postcards or letters or support the family or like to send money or any other ways. So we also provide the links and the information about it. And um, later when participants are ready with the embroidery, we ask to write a short comment about the feelings and thoughts uh, people had during the uh, stitching. And uh, uh, later people send us uh, their ready works and we collect them and we do exhibitions, um, like uh, presentations and also, uh, also we plan um, to have an online gallery. Actually, we're working on the web page now. Um, so we would like to publish all these works uh, together uh, on the online platform. And later, the, the main idea is actually to collect all of them and to exhibit um, in a, a museum in Free Belarus mm -hmm. somewhere when it, when it will be possible. Yeah. yeah. And maybe interesting thing about these um, um, comments we collect from people, we realized that the project has uh, different functions, let's say. Uh, one thing is um, that for uh, people who are not so connected to Belarus, for foreigners, it uh, usually has an educative effect, let's say. So people are uh, more interested about the situation in Belarus, about like that this reason could be uh, real to put people to the prison, mm -hmm. because it sounds very uh, unrealistic, but this is the reality of Belarus, actually. Um, yeah, and um, another aspect is for m more for people um, connected to Belarus or even from Belarus, but also uh, not only for them. It has a healing effect. It helps somehow to feel unity in the moment when people cannot just go outside or he they can not even write a comment on internet. Um, so. Uh, by like the you know it's very slow process of stitching yeah. so it's somehow meditative from one side but um, also um, you feel that you're not alone somehow it's like a big community of people uh, who are working on the same way yeah. Um, yeah and so and you and the people usually like uh, they believe that one day it will be really um, seen or visible altogether, all these works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think it's a really beautiful project. Um, I want to get a little philosophical here for a moment. Um, and I'm reminded of something that Hannah Arendt wrote about in her writings on totalitarianism. Um, she wrote a lot about freedom and what that means. And for her, freedom was acting and being able to act in accordance with your values and what you want, what you want to do. And in a context of repression, like in Belarus, it's very difficult to, like the smallest acts are criminalized. Um, and so being able to sit and stitch and work in, on something is that kind of act that I think Arendt is talking about that helps you feel like you're part of this larger fabric 
than just your own life and you're not resisting something all on your own which can be very scary and you don't feel as vulnerable and I think it's a very empowering way to um, to participate and not feel isolated yeah um, I hope so yeah no it, it had that effect on me I guess I should say that I'm participating in this project and can speak to it from the perspective of someone that does have a relationship to Belarus because my family lives there I spent a lot of my childhood there and um, I think that, yeah, if anything, I can just say that it's had that effect on me, that it helps me not feel so powerless in, uh, in the face of mm -hmm. a lot of obstacles, you know, just because you can do something, even if that's just for yourself and... Yes, yeah, I but it's, it's a very interesting thing because, like, uh, we thought in the beginning that we somehow help to political prisoners, but it's not really the true. It's like, it is, it could be, but this is the not first thing that's uh, happening, is happening. Because the first thing we help to people who stitch, mm -hmm. because the healing effect that the embroidery has, for, it's for these people who... Who participate mm -hmm. but it's so important also from one of the comments we have read that uh, there, there was one girl she was from Belarus and she was teaching and in one point she was like she didn't want to continue anymore it was so slow and uh, all the time you know uh, all the situation in Belarus and also the 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 um, the narrative she stitched it was not very happy anyway like she understood the person is in a jail and it was sad uh and uh, like once she just said she would not finish it mm -hmm. and she left uh, the embroidery on the table and uh, she had some i don't know how to say in english like when police come to your house and they make research ser mm -hmm. searching like yeah. or something so she had also this, and uh, also the embroidery was connected to this moment because it was at this house at that moment mm -hmm. lying on the table, but like police didn't see it. Mm -hmm. um, but what is important about this story that once uh, in one moment she understood that this feeling, this depression, uh, this is actually the state that uh, the regime, the dictatorship, wants people to feel yeah and she said oh no 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> i will not lot i will not let uh, i will not let them drive me into this state i will like take all my power and i will finish the embroidery mm -hmm. and that will be like the first step i will like continue fighting and she she, she made it and she sent it to us and for me this is like like super strong story about yeah. how embroidery could heal or like help yeah. people to resist mm -hmm. so when these people have energy and they're in a good state so they can do something also for political prisoners or for changing the situation also yeah totally yeah that's exactly what i wanted to say is that i think that the the sort of like soothing aspect of embroidery that you're describing um, it's very important because in order to not kind of just fall into despair and depression you have to find a way to take care of yourself in very difficult circumstances and if this helps people do that and it sounds like it does then it's very important 
one of the questions I had for you is a little bit connected to this. How do you think creativity and self-expression, um, why do you think they're so important in the struggle for democratic values? It's one of the ways how to, how to fight. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and also it's very interesting thing that uh, a regime <laughs> uh, could not cover all the fields. And uh, the art field depends on, on the way how you do it. Uh, it's actually one of the last that uh, regime tried to fight. Mm -hmm. um, and this is like the voice uh, that would be spread and could be helpful. Um, Yes, and the culture, it's its actually the base of everything, Yeah, <laughs> I think, so, um, or what was the question? <laughs> well, yeah, my question was, um, yeah, why do you think creativity and self-expression specifically are so important? But I think you answered that, uh, that question okay. very well, yeah. Right, another thought I'm having is how this, like, the the stamina that, that's required to finish an embroidery is really reflective of what it means to have a revolution too, is that it's not like, yes, you have these revolutionary moments that are like eruptions in history, but there's a lot of things that lead up to them. And then once those revolutionary moments happen, they have to be sustained as well. So there is this like, this aspect of sustaining something and working on something every day, a little bit at a time. Well, another aspect of your work that feels important in the context of what we're discussing is the revival of uniquely Belarusian traditions and the ways that they affirm a distinctly Belarusian identity. So keeping Belarusian traditional embroidery practices alive challenges, um, while well, I'm thinking of like Putin's narrative that everything bordering Russia that's adjacent to it belongs to it and should remain in its sphere of influence and control. And I feel like the revival of Belarusian traditions really challenges that narrative. Um, but what are some of the challenges and barriers to making work about Belarusian identity and the events unfolding in Belarus from abroad? Because I, I, if I'm understanding, you live no longer in Belarus for the moment. No, I live in Prague, in Czech Republic. Mm. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Like, um, Are there I try to, to, to support people, I don't know, like by sending money when it was uh, possible, mm. um, um, spreading the information and the cultural code uh, in the world, mm -hmm. making it popular, make it uh, like visible, make it sounds like the traditional Belarusian, as you said, actually like to, to shape it. Mm -hmm. uh, differently from um impair yeah let's say um yes and just let know about the belarus and belarusian culture um and the about belarusian politics because in my art it's actually the mix of mm -hmm. all these things um the, uh, for the moment this is the thing i try to do another thing is of course belarusian language mm -hmm. But uh, in my work, it's not that visible. It's like we use their language, but it's mostly English. Mm -hmm. But the names, but no, but like there are some uh, small <laughs> little words, w words uh, inside of the 
embroideries. They're also in Belarusian. Well, I guess one of the obvious strengths to not working out of Belarus is that you're able to do this kind of work without persecution. Because um, censorship is a serious issue for artists based in Belarus. Um, I'm thinking of someone whose comedy I really like, uh, Slava Komisarenko, whose jokes about mm -hmm. Lukashenko um, were so funny <laughs> that he had to flee the country because the KGB came after him. So, yeah, how do you remain courageous enough to speak out against the regime that is known for um, intimidating their agitators and persecuting their agitators? <laughs> ah, you know, it's very easy to be, I would say, courage. Courageous, <laughs> brave. Courage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, while like uh, living in another country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I would not say I, I like, I'm brave to, to fight. Mm, I just found the good idea, uh, the good combination uh, of the language I want to speak and uh, it worked good and I'm happy with that and I'm happy it helped. Um, I don't know, it's some kind of mission maybe. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I'm super tight and I want, just want to break up. <laughs> But then say no, you cannot. You already do so such a good, like a huge work. You, you have to continue. You will see the result later. It will work well. <laughs> Please don't will. stop. But it's hard. Yes, of course, this is hard. But mm -hmm. I see how, um, like I see that people need it. They just ask for it. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're almost doing this not for yourself. Also, also for because yourself. I like the I like the idea. I like having exhibitions. Um, yes, of course. Like we will not lie in this point. Well, I think that you play a special role in bringing people together, which is yeah why you deserve to be celebrated. Um, I'm curious, who are some other Belarusian artists or poets or musicians whose work you find empowering and important today? Oof, the hardest question. <laughs> I never know how to answer because you have to choose uh, someone. And well, like not, uh, whoever comes to mind. About other. Um, and also, just for you right now, you know, it doesn't have to be an exhaustive list. It's just maybe someone, someone's work you're enjoying right now. I just remember uh, Wola Tchaikovska and the Festival of Belarusian Films, mm -hmm. uh, Northern Light Film Festival. It's not only Belarusian, but they have the Belarusian sec section. And actually, she works a lot on the uh, uh, to make the Belarusian film visible. Mm -hmm. And um, also, they founded the um, I would say independent academy of the Belarusian films now. Mm -hmm. um, so. I think she really does a lot, also like this festival, and uh, uh, she's working on her own films. Mm. And then I think like ev everyone who who uh, try to spread the Belarusian Belarusian culture and to to make it um, oh that would sound very stupid, but like more popular, mm -hmm. so people in the world 
fucking know that this is from Belarus. Mm-hmm, that it and that Belarus exists and this is the separate country. Yeah. <laughs> Independent country uh, with this specific culture and traditions. So mm, it doesn't have to be like specially folk. It could be very contemporary, mm-hmm. but showing that, uh, yeah, this is from Belarus and that. Yeah, no, that definitely doesn't sound uh, stupid. I think what you're talking about is pop- is visibility. Is um, if people can't see it, then it's difficult to to know that it exists, and it's difficult to have a point of entry to try to understand or get to know this like unique culture. Um, well, for my last yeah. question, uh, do you have anything coming up that you would like to share with our listeners, or any last parting words? Yes, of course. Framed in Belarus dot net. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, this is the uh, the page where you can register uh, to participate in the uh, project about political prisoners, and the name of the project is Framed in Belarus. Okay, I so will. So Framed in Belarus dot net. Yes, I'll definitely be sharing your website and that link um, on the archive page for this show, so people will be able to find it. Um, and I, yeah, highly recommend participating in it because I think it's a very empowering project to be a part of um, thank you so much for coming on the show and for setting aside some time to talk to me today thank you for inviting thank you
за повеном я кров. Расплываешь за повеном я кров. Моя
sound. C K K U T T 90.3 FM Another reliable communication channel. Пограничного леса 
Вороной саду господском, оленем на горном склоне. Ты станешь мой зверь печальный, подушкой снов перед боем. Ветвями яблони дикой, ветром над островами. Ты станешь мой зверь поэтов, а я поплыву на север. Мне путь назначен далекий, во имя богини
рядом с тобою И когда я снова вернусь домой То надолго запомню Как хорошо было этой зимой Рядом с тобою
Да, что происходит в Беларуси. В Беларуси сейчас очень тяжелые времена. 9 августа у нас были выборы. Лукашенко оглушительно проиграл, после чего он фальсифицировал выборы, нарисовал себе 80%. Вся страна вышла на мирные акции протеста. У Чикчирыка свистанула фляга. Все, блядь, аграрный Рэмбо бегает, кошмарит страну. Это просто ужас вообще, понимаете? Да, и вы наверняка видели это видео, где он с автоматом, тра-та-та-та-та, вот это все. Но это не мое любимое видео. Мое любимое видео — это перехват переговоров. Вы видели его? Это топ вообще. Это просто какая-то ублюдская подделка, которую Лукашенко сделал в PowerPoint. Я не знаю, откуда он ее взял. Но видели? Это же просто ужас, когда Александр Горыч лично перехватил переговоры на своем радиоприемнике, да, который он привез с дачи, настроил на нем волну Урах ФМ, да, началась передача Секрет Урага, и он все перехватил на кассету, да, потому что он лаучайший чик-чирык, его невозможно остановить. Бля, вы видели, как было стыдно Мишустину, когда он отдавал ему эту кассету? Мишустин такой, бля, серьезно, мне надо в этом сниматься. Я уверен, они это не с первого дубля записали, я уверен. Там Лукашенко, Мишустин, хватит ржать! Я перехватил! Мишустин такой, окей, хорошо, О, какая ценная запись. Для тех, кто не знает, это убогая инсценировка переговоров спецслужб якобы Польши и Германии. Там разговаривает Майк и Ник, типичные польско-германские имена, да. И они разговаривают примерно так. Майк говорит, а как наши дела в Беларуси? И Ник такой, если честно, не очень. Президент Лукашенко оказался крепким орешком. Я такой, ну Брюс Уиллис в ужасе, да? Я такой, ну это ж правда, да? Ну враги же за спиной что обычно делают? Комплименты! Я думал, там будет оказался крепким орешком, мудрейшим из правителей и искуснейшим из любовников. О, а как он переговоры перехватывает? М -м -м, он такой крутой, всегда на шаг впереди нас. И в конце голос. О, вот так заебись оставляйте! Так что да, и Лукашенко все, что делает, это просто бегает, оскорбляет людей, он просто выкрикивает оскорбления. Проститутки, наркоманы, шелудивый пес! И это просто в новогодние речи он просто выкрикивает оскорбления, это просто какой-то ужас. И в те редкие моменты, когда он не оскорбляет людей, он занимается тем, что он присваивает себе достижения. Какое-то время назад он говорил, вы просили дождь, я дал вам дождь. Я такой, вау, неплохо для простого смертного, да? 
даже такой Нептун тебе не позволяет. Он такой, я так не могу. Ну так а кто ты, а кто я? А -а -а. Потом он что говорил? Мне Илон Маск Теслу подарил. Илон Маск такой, никогда его не видел. А -а -а. Я теперь жду, когда Лукашенко выйдет и скажет, на самом деле, Бэнкси, это я. Я очень хорошо рисую. Результаты выбора увидели? Я нарисовал 80%. Там вообще было три. Слава богу, три на восемь заебись исправляется. А я талантиша. И он пытается казаться таким страшным, но над ним уже смеется весь мир. Вы слышали, что компания Aviasales подарила ему бесплатный билет на самолет Минс-Гага? Вы слышали об этом? Я не знаю, прикол это или нет, но я подумал, что Лукашенко что же не знает. Возможно, он уже звонил в офис Aviasales такой, а я извиняюсь, это тариф с багажом или это чисто рюкзак? Ага, а ребенка с винтовкой на колени? Коля, обожди, я уточняю. Но на самом деле, естественно, он никуда полететь не может. Ему закрыли въезд чуть ли не во все страны мира. А с учетом того, как к нему в Беларуси относятся, то Лукашенко даже в гости сходить не может. Знаете, почему Лукашенко никогда никто не зовет в гости? Правильно, потому что потом хер выгонишь. Он будет сидеть у тебя, сука, 26 лет. Ты будешь такой, уходи, откуда давайте голосовать. Берите бумажки, ручки не даю, я уже все заполню. А? Но самое ужасное, что недавно, буквально на днях, была эта новость, что он закрыл границы. Теперь белорусы не могут выезжать из Беларуси, представляете? Он такой, типа, это я не еду, это вы не едете. Он просто угорает над людьми. Его спросили, зачем он это сделал, и он такой, что, типа, сказал, что это в рамках борьбы с коронавирусом. Что просто бред. То есть, прикиньте, все страны мира закрывают границы на въезд, и только Беларусь закрывает на выезд. Ну, видимо, чтобы наш коронавирус никому не достался. Что он белорусский, качественный, да? Все хотят заполучить наш коронавирус. Но недавно, недавно, народ, произошла новость, от которой даже я охренел. Недавно, буквально на днях в Новополоцке, ОМОН арестовал Деда Мороза. Это чистая правда. Лукашенко посадил в тюрьму Деда Мороза. Он, сука, злодей, понимаете? Я думаю, а что дальше будет? Что он дальше сделает? Украдет весну? Скажет, хотите весну назад? Отдавайте усю пшеницу и девственницу. Я дракон с усами. Ужасно. И... Да, но слава богу, из Беларуси есть очень много вдохновляющих видео, прекрасных вдохновляющих видео, которые поднимают нам настроение. Например, вы видели этот ролик, где парень убегал от ОМОНовца, его спас таксист. Вы видели его? Да, это прекрасное видео, и из этого видео мы очень много чего узнали. Мы узнали, что таксист просто, просто потрясающий водитель, и мы еще узнали, что ОМОНовец не знает, как открывается дверь машины. То, что вместо того, чтобы открыть эту дверь, он просто начал бить по ней дубинкой. Такое ощущение, что он думал, что он в GTA, если долго бить, то она взорвется. Это... Меня, конечно, больше всего прикалывает, что есть люди, которые оправдывают ОМОНовцев, которые такие, они просто делают свою работу. Я такой, неплохо трудоустроились, но... Я такой, что они дальше будут говорить? Ну да, они калечат, насилуют и убивают, но зато они занимаются любимым делом. Снимут какой-нибудь мотивирующий ролик от ОМОНовца, который такой, я калечу, насилую и убиваю на свежем воздухе, пока ты сидишь в душном офисе. 
Все-таки, ну, интересно. Короче, я просто, я не знал, куда деть свою злость на этих ОМОНовцев. И когда обнародовали их данные, выложили все эти телефоны, я позвонил им всем, представляете? Я знал, что это странно, я не знал, что я им скажу, что я им скажу. Типа, хватит уже! Они такие, ладно! Я не знал, что сделать, но я подумал, ОМОНовцы же объективно тупые, а я не хочу с ними ругаться, я хочу отдать приказ. Я подумал, а что если ОМОНовец возьмет трубку, и я такой, привет, это я! И он такой, да. Значит так, планы меняются, теперь у Сеепоши меня. Жду во дворце. Только я буду говорить, как вы смеете, суки, это я прикалываюсь. Лупите от души. Так что теперь концертов у меня в Беларуси не будет, а в старой Беларуси.
Thank you. Спасибо. Інтернет? Я його не знаю і не хочу знати. Знаємо і бачимо той інтернет, який по ньому не міємо робити. Чули, чули, що інтернет є. Ну я ж це, як це вони звуться, господи. От голова вже стара. Інтернет, я шучу. Інтернет, інтернет. Інтернет, інтернет. Ну оці як вони? Як ці коробки звуться? Що ці баби знають? То заходять в інтернет, заходити треба із цього. Як вони звуться? Ну то є інтернет, а то є цей... Є планшет, а то ще якось інше зветься, що тобі що така коробка, як воно зветься? Як воно зветься? Комп'ютер, може? Комп'ютери. Не комп'ютери, це ще щось інше, що то діти вчаться на них. Комп'ютери? Чи комп'ютери? Ну а що, діти вчаться? Розкладається, складається і там все, комп'ютери, а тоді треба з нього заходити в інтернет, так? Так, так. А показує все, як співають. Про якісь ігри грають, і трактори, і машини показують, все, що на що дивиться. Ви знайдіть нашу сторінку, там я не знаю, скільки нас вже там є. А яка наша сторінка? Оксани треба питати. Там ми вже є по всій Україні. Ми зайняли перше місце по Україні, не забувайте. Телевізори пускають. Навіть мені було 80 років, та й там теж є. Все від початку до кінця. Як я заходила, народа скільки було, як мене зустрічали, як ці мої дівчата співали. Ансамбль, Іден, другий ансамбль, Горлиця, всі мене зустрічали. З району, з області. Все там киє. Та й що, як якась жінка, я не знаю, а якісь анігноти казала по такій смішній потім, по телевізору чи по цьому інтернеті, то й таке ж інтересно подивитися, так? Ну так, я ж кажу, перше місце Орлівка тримає скрізь.